CavsCorner.com podcast, CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin States in the West End of Richmond, where it is Tuesday, May the 1st, um, 2018. Uh, it, it, spring football has ended, so uh, I thought it would be a good time to, to talk a little bit about what we maybe learned, what, what questions we still have, and maybe some, some important sort of takeaways. Um, from that, um, I, I thought that uh, I'd give uh, Dave and Ferber the week off again since they uh, weren't able to make it down to Charlottesville on Saturday. But my buddy Damon Delman from CBS 19 Sports, he was there, uh, and I thought, you know what, hey, we've had a really good couple of times with him on the show. Let's see, uh, let's see if he can't uh, make sure he doesn't drop an f bomb or something crazy. Damon, how are you, my friend? I am delighted to be here. Just delighted. keep upgrading my status from friend of the program to. Regular contributor, and this is just, it's an honor and a privilege. An honor and a privilege, he says. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get after it. <laughs> you can follow Damon's work on Twitter. Damon Dillman, I believe, is it, is it just at Damon Dillman? That is correct. And you can follow Cavs Corner on Twitter, Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, all right, Damon, here's where I want to start the conversation. There are things we thought we knew about Virginia's football team going into spring ball, and there are obviously some some things we probably know now. What are, what did you feel like was the biggest thing you learned? And and I want to take Bryce Perkins off that because I feel like that's the the most obvious one, and I want to get into Perkins in a, in a minute. But in terms of the rest of the team, what do you feel like you learned? What's an actual like firm takeaway that you have, even good or bad, uh, about this team going into uh, now the summer? I think, number one, I think they're excited about kind of the depth they have at that running back position. Those guys who played a little bit last year as true freshmen coming back now as sophomores, I think they're going to be a bigger part of what they try to do. Now, you have to take what we saw on Saturday with a grain of salt because we had the conversation last time I was on about how a lot of times we're not allowed to shoot certain things to local TV stations. We were allowed to shoot everything. On Saturday, we were allowed to shoot the entire 11 on 11, which to me is an indication that they weren't showing a whole lot that they cared about anyone seeing. They weren't showing anything, I suspect, that they cared about anyone seeing. Robert and I even made that joke when he came into the postgame press conference about Liberty and who's, I forget, oh, Richmond being in the stands watching. So that to me was an indicator that what we saw on Saturday, plus the fact we didn't see a lot of guys on Saturday. We didn't see Alameda. We didn't see Joe Reed. We didn't see Brennan Armstrong. But we did see a whole lot of those running backs. And talking about P.K. Kyer afterward, they made it sound like he's kind of the next in line behind Jordan Ellis. They kind of see him in that role. It looks like Atkins has a potential to be more of a home run hitter from that running back spot. So that was one thing, just seeing the development of those guys throughout the course of the spring as they grow into bigger roles has been interesting. And then I don't know if this was a big surprise to me, but talking to guys, those guys in that secondary are really confident. They're really excited about the potential of that secondary, even with Quinn Blanding, who was obviously the biggest name in that secondary the last couple of years. But the guys who are back, Juan Thornhill, Bryce Hall, those guys are really excited about the potential that they have in that secondary, that being such a deep and strong part of that defense. And it's going to be a defense that's going to it's going to be working its way from the back forward, as opposed to I know a lot of times teams, and obviously they have those depth issues on the defensive line, and that's something that they're working really hard to address. But I'm, I'm just listening to those guys in the secondary, the confidence that they talked with 
after that game on Saturday. And obviously they're veteran guys. That to me, I'm curious to see how those guys play as a, because it's their team now. It's Juan Thornhill's team now. It's becoming Bryce Hall's team now. Jordan Max is a linebacker, but it's becoming his team now. It's going to be interesting to see as those guys transition into those veteran leadership roles, how that kind of bleeds into the rest of the team. I would agree with that. I think um, I, I wrote a piece um, that's going to run on the site as we record. Um, it'll run on the site on Tuesday. Um, but I, I wrote a piece about like takeaways for the offense, and I'll, I'll do one for the defense, and I've got it kind of outlined. Um, I'll run that later this week. But realistically, I think the thing that if I think about like one lesson or one one real hard, firm takeaway is Richard Burning might work. And I know that it sounds stupid, right, to, to mash up uh, the words uh, hard, you know, lesson and might. But I think even the, the, the opportunity to have a guy that was already on the roster filling in that spot on the defensive line. You know, Bronco mentioned it earlier this spring that he was having, you know, he was sleeping better because of that. He, 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 he sounded even more sure of Bernie's potential um, on Saturday because he sounded like somebody who, who was not just like relieved, but also sort of excited about his potential. And I thought Bernie catching Did on you? a defensive end, it was, was a big deal. Did you talk to Bernie at all afterward on Saturday? I didn't get a, I didn't get a chance to talk to him because I was I, I at one point I was actually dueling I had uh, I had a voice recorder in one hand and a um and a, and a video yeah. recorder in the other, but he, uh, uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to him. What did he say? He, I came away because I hadn't gotten a chance to talk to him prior to Saturday. And I, if you go to newsplex.com, cheap plug, but I ran I ran that story last night and the the one soundbite from him I. The confidence he has in himself on that defensive line spot. He talked about how he talked about how Bronco basically, since Bronco has gotten Bronco even said this going into the military bowl that he had in the back of his mind had that that, that idea of using Bernie on the defensive line basically since he got here the last two seasons. And Bernie said that even going into last season, it obviously didn't happen, but there was some conversation of him playing both sides of the football last year, playing tight end and defensive line. And now that he's on the defensive line full time now, he can see Bernie himself. He was saying that he can see the potential. He can feel that potential that Bronco has kind of talked about with him the last couple of years. And he's talking about being a, his words, being a dominant defensive end in the ACC and being able to play at that position at the next level. And he's talking about that after those military bowl practices and then these spring practices. And obviously you want a guy talking with that kind of confidence, but it's really interesting that like he's been a tight end the last three years and all of a sudden he's a defensive end and he's talking about, he feels like he can be one of the best defensive ends in the ACC after just one spring at that spot. Yeah, I think what's interesting is that, like you, you mentioned a minute ago, the idea of working from the back forward, right? That typically it's the other way around. Your your strength you want to, to be in your pass rush and and in terms of stopping the run. In this defense, with that with a with a trio up front that you can count on, and let's take apart, let's take away the the aspect of like um, changing games. I'm talking about just reliability and consistency. When you have as much kind of talent and potential depth as they have in that back eight versus just the front three, that's not to say Mandy Alonzo or Eli Handback or even Richard Burney aren't playmakers who can make plays. They're obviously going to have to do that at times. But I just mean consistency, setting the edge, being able to, 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 to man your gap and do so with reliability. That in and of itself would be a huge step in the right direction. What you don't want to have happen is that you put a guy out at end, um, or I guess any of the three positions, but especially at that end spot where they were so, you know, so full of question marks 
to to have put a guy out there and basically the offensive line is just turning him and turning him and turning him and then just running right over it. I, I think that Bernie's potential and and the way that Bronco talked about his um, his kind of emphatic growth right from the start of spring to the to the end and knowing where you know how much time he still has um i I gotta say like i think that's a significant development um you're not going to replace andrew brown uh overnight and certainly you're not going to do that when you convert a tight end but it's interesting that that was already something they were thinking about um speaking of replacing people so micah kaiser you know he gets drafted this weekend. Congrats to to Mike, a great kid. Um, love it for him. I hope he he sticks. Um, UVA has to figure out what to do. Uh, moving J Mac to to the mic and then the play and then moving Malcolm Cook in the middle. I I'd, I think that as I look at the defense, that might aside from Bernie, I think the one thing that might be a, the biggest takeaway is the de- the potential depth they have at linebacker in in a way that I don't know if they've had in the past. So. We all know Charles Snowden on the outside. You know, Chris Peace did not play much, but Matt Gam apparently was able to really kind of take some steps forward because he was able to to get so many reps. Rob Snyder in the middle. Uh, we know that Elliot Brown on the outside is another physical freak. That's a really nice group of linebackers that you feel like you know a lot about. And so, if I, uh, uh, my other takeaway, so to speak, from the defense is just that we we know the depth in the in the secondary is real, but also I think the depth in the in the linebacking core has really. Um, has really presented itself. And I think that's a significant positive for them going into the season. Yeah. And I think that's kind of a product of, as we've talked about before, this being year three, spring number three for Bronco. And they're, they've been able to target guys in recruiting who fit those physical parameters of what they're looking for at spots. And Snowden and Elliot Brown being two guys, for instance, on the outside who just kind of physically fit what they're looking for. And you mentioned Rob Snyder. He seems to be the name that keeps coming up as a guy who, again, emerged a little bit. He was hurt, didn't play last year, but he seems to have recovered and emerged and and kind of staked his claim to maybe some playing time at one of those inside linebacker spots, too, because you're talking about a guy in Malcolm Cook who he's had his injury issues. And also he's, what is he, a 13th year senior now? I mean, I joke, but you need to find someone who can kind of be the next in line at that spot. And there's still Zane Zandier, who uh, we know they were high on in the past, who maybe has slipped behind a few of these other guys this spring as he develops. Elliot Brown's another guy you mentioned who maybe a longer term development at the outside linebacker spot. But yeah, I definitely think Bronco talks about it all the time that some spots they're year three, other spots it feels like they're back at year one. He talks about that inside linebacker spot because you lose a guy like Micah Kaiser, but it seems like there are potential guys at those spots who can, obviously we talked about it, you're not going to replace a Quinn Blanding, you're not going to replace an Andrew Brown, you're not going to replace a Micah Kaiser, Micah Kaiser either with one guy, but if you can cultivate that depth and keep developing these guys, that definitely bodes well for the future. And it seems like now that they get into year three, they're starting to build that depth and build up the roster where they can develop guys and have a hierarchy on the depth chart. I think the other, it, those are positives, right? So let's, I'm going to switch over to the offense. I still don't know. Um, and maybe this is a, a firm sort of takeaway for me. I still don't know what I do and don't know about the offensive line. Um, I, well, I mean, let's, 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 di- let's dissect this a little bit, right? Um, and I'm not trying to be too over the top, um, here. I don't want to do that, uh, do that, you know, do that thing where we, we, we hash this up three times over. Um, but I know Jake Feeler has a lot of experience. 
Um, I know D- Dylan Rankinsmeyer has a lot of versatility. Uh, I know that they're adding another grad transfer, and I know they have a stable of young guys that they like a lot. What that all means for the running game, for the potential of the the offense as a whole, for passing situations, I, I think you, we still have to say is TBD. I, I know I wrote a lot of stuff about the offensive line, did a bunch of features about you know Chris Glazer and Jake Feeler, um, did a you know story with uh, Touje, and I and then and I don't want to make too much of the fact that that offensive line is still very much a work in progress. But I think when you get to the end of the spring and you're still thinking it's a work in progress, even if that's what you expected, that that has to be. Um, that has to be at the top of the list in terms of concerns that I have about this team. Um, the defensive line is still a concern. There's still a depth problem, but you feel like you have three guys that you, three known commodities. Now you don't have much depth behind them. Jordan Redman, who was a massive human being, um, having seen him this weekend, um, He's probably going to play. I wouldn't be surprised to see two of those young guys play. Dylan Thompson officially announced as the other uh, grad transfer, um, at least as of yet, um, that, this one coming on the defensive line. So that helps. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, you, you know, if they could get one more. Um, yeah, they probably could use it. Um, but ultimately, I think the offensive line is the one question mark on this team. And it's not because they don't have options. It's just because you just don't know what those options, what like what proven commodities they have. Um, adding uh, Marcus Applefield will help. Um, the offensive line I saw Saturday, and and you, ha- you have to sort of take that with a grain of salt too, because one, like they're playing against uh, an off a defensive line that was super super thin, and al- also too the offensive line as a whole was super thin. And the way this thing was working, like the end of the drive, they would either be a couple, you know, two or three punts, two or three, you know, uh, kicks, and and then they would just k- start the next possession. So I mean, these dudes were getting worked in a in a way that they would not be expected to um, after um, you know in a regular game. Uh, give me some just general thoughts, Damon, on your view of uh, the offensive line and sort of what your vibe is for that group uh, going into the summer. Yeah, I think I think I agree with what you said in that it's very much still a work in progress. And uh, Coach Two J will admit that it's a work in progress. When we talked to him at the midway point of the spring, he talked a lot about how he loves the attitude, he loves the coachability. Feeler said a lot of the same things too, just about how coachable these young guys are, Feeler being the veteran in that group. But but 2J said that that the skill level, the skill mastery is the phrase they like to use as a coaching staff. That still needs to catch up with, with that coachability and that want to. So they clearly see the offensive line as a work in progress going into the summer. But it, it's been that way since Bronco got here. They have talked about wanting to build depth. That's That, to me, is still that spot when Bronco, going back to what I talked about earlier, Bronco saying in a lot of spots, we're in year three. I don't think they're, quote, in year three yet when it comes to that offensive line. I don't think they've built up the depth. They've got, obviously, more guys, a few more guys coming in in the summer, but they, they're they still trying to identify where all these pieces fit and where these guys will fit best, and I still think they're trying to add some size to some of those guys. Ryan Nelson looked like he was even bigger on Saturday than two weeks prior, the last time we were out of practice, for, for instance. He just looked like he had added more more weight in the last two weeks or so. So I just think in a variety of ways, that offensive line is still very much a work in progress. And yeah, I agree that it definitely makes that line the big question mark offensively going into the summer. But 
I mean, it was the same way. It was the same way last year. We didn't know who the five offensive linemen were going to be until the week of the opener. And then that would change throughout the course of the season. Guys were in and out of the lineup throughout the course of the season last year. It's that to me, taking the long-term view of Bronco going into his third year and this staff going into their third year, that's been one of the positions where they're just, they're just constantly trying to figure out how the puzzle pieces best fit together and still trying to find some of those puzzle pieces in some ways, I think. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think too to 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 put a bow on 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 this particular um, section, so to speak, of of conversation with um, with the offensive line. It's almost like you need to you need to sort of have depth um, built up before you can have um, before you can have real consistency. If you th- you made a point just a second ago about how this you know going into year three, they're still sort of chasing that ghost. And I think if you think about like where they were in year one, uh, going into year two, and now what they lose off that offensive line going into year three, they lost both grad transfers. They lost uh, Jack English, obviously Jack McDonald. As the season wore on, I mean him being able to play again just it just didn't work out for him. Um, they weren't able to like uh, to turn uh, a guy like Stephen Moss or, or or others into you know formidable options, right? Something that you could legitimately go with. What they've had to do is basically take some young kids, uh, sprinkle them in as they as needed, take some more grad transfers, and sort of make do. Um, I, I look at this line, and I and I and I don't want this to come off as wholly negative because I think there's a real chance that. Um, that these kids, you know, the young guys like Nelson and, and Glazer um, take take shape going into the fall. That Rankins Meyer is is solid at center, um, and that you know the two grad that the two to the two experience options Applefield and Feeler, you know, end up being what they need at guard. Um, I also think too that like if you look at the depth, I mean Proctor, I think it, it can it can play. I think that um, you know Swoboda. Uh, is a guy who, if you t- you talk to various folks around the program, like they're super excited about that kid. I mean, he's huge, um, but he he's got really good feet. I just think that as you look at that line, it, it 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 cannot be seen as anything other than a question mark, and that's not necessarily a negative. I think it's just a reality, as you mentioned, two J probably would agree. Um, I also want to talk about the other question mark I have on the offense, and I'm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna throw you a little bit of a uh, of a curveball here. So uh, I happen to be talking to uh, to Jason Beck, the quarterbacks coach, and I was talking about Bryce Perkins, and I was talking about Brendan Armstrong and Little Stone and stuff. And it occurred to me that at no point this spring had anybody asked either Anai or 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 Beck whether Virginia wanted to go fast again, right? Whether the staff wanted to go fast again. And so I asked him, like, "Hey, how would you sort of describe?" And I mean, I spoiler alert because Ferber's going to uh, to write the story based on the 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 audio I got. You asked but, Beck this, so I asked Beck. I was like, so yeah. hey, look, based on um, you know what we what you wanted to do in the past and and where you are now, do you feel like you're ready to go? And he said they want to. Now, right now, they're still a huddle team, but he would like to go fast. Um, and I'll be honest, that changes a little bit t- for me. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, Damon. That changes a little bit for me in terms of if they do decide to go strictly no huddle, maybe not to the to the degree that they did uh, when they were BYU, but something more akin to that versus uh, the hurry up sort of idea that they've done uh, so far here. If they do go that way, considering the, the offense they want to put on the field and the way they want to run the ball, man, I really like that. I really, really like that because you can do a lot with those personnel groupings and keeping them on the field. How do you think going with a faster tempo would help or hurt this offense considering uh, some of the question marks we've just talked about. 
Well, I think they I think they showed a little bit of that on Saturday at one point later in the uh, the quote unquote spring scrimmage. When Atkins broke that that big touchdown run, that was they were picking up the tempo, going a little more no huddle during that drive, and they really moved the ball in that drive. Now, in fairness, that was later in the afternoon, and I think fatigue was setting in for a lot of players. But obviously, on that defense, when we talk about, for instance, the lack of depth on the defensive line, I think fatigue was a factor in that. But I mean, that's an example of how that can help how that can help a team if they do go no huddle, if they do pick up the tempo a little bit in the regular season. And I do think when you start talking about running a little bit more option, running a little bit more off off balance stuff, getting defenses off balance, I do think picking up the tempo does help an offense because it gives a defense less time to kind of read before a play and and think about where things may be going. And it puts the pressure, more pressure on a defense to have to react as a play unfolds. And that's how mistakes happen defensively. I think, I think it makes sense. I think obviously they came in here, they were kind of forced into not running tempo. They took it away early in that first season because they just didn't have the personnel and it just, it just didn't fit with what they had. I remember at one point, I forget when it was, it was later in the season last year, even Kurt Benkert was asked about how they had slowed down the tempo. And he gave the sense that he wished they were still a little bit more of a tempo team last year because they obviously ran it at East Carolina where he was the quarterback too. I think I think offensively, guys like picking up that tempo, like putting that extra pressure on a defense, especially when you start talking about is Bryce Perkins going to keep the ball? Is he going to give it? Is he going to hand it off? Are they going to throw it? Is it going to be a short throw? Is it going to be a deep throw? When you're think when you don't have that time to huddle up defensively and maybe read what how the defense how the offense excuse me is lining up, it's putting more pressure on guys. I think it makes sense. I've always been of the suspicion that as soon as this staff was in a spot personnel wise that they thought this team was ready for it, they were comfortable with it. I think as soon as they're ready to pull the trigger on it, they'll go back to that tempo offense that they brought from BYU. It's just a matter of they don't think at least these first few years, they haven't thought they've had the horses to do it effectively. And it just put too much pressure on themselves offensively. And that's why they kind of slowed that tempo. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they wanted to, they felt really strongly. I remember last year, them talking a lot about um, wanting to, to get the right personnel matchups for, so basically like for a, for a play X to work, they felt like they needed to get the the right people in there to do it. And then I kind of said the same thing, on Saturday that he that's still kind of the plan moving forward but I still think if they can put that pedal down they would yeah and I think as they get closer to um you know to a future where uh they can run you know if you're going to run an actual true read option and you have let's say Zacchaeus in the in the slot and he's going to come across in motion right he's going to so it's on like a jet sweep sort of action and so um, let's say you line up in, in sort of like a pistol formation and you've got this coming over. There is a lot that you can do with that. Um, you can you can fake the, the, the give to the back. You can fake the give to Zacchaeus on a shuttle pass. You can fake the, um, the, both of those and, and, and step back to pass. Um, one of the things that I believe it was um, Feeler told me, when it was one of the offensive linemen, I can't remember if it was Feeler or Glazer, but the idea that like basically they block and they don't know whether it's going to be a run or a pass, they just know that they, they where they need to be. Um, if you take that sort of uncertainty and use it to your advantage, I think that's a good thing for the offense. It makes makes total sense. the 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 balancing act, right, is is one. If you don't get to to change, um, 
if you don't get to change things, maybe that puts the offense in a in a harder spot depending on what the play call is because maybe you would you would like to have this player or that player in to run this specific play. Um, but also too, it requires an execution, right? There's a you know hurry up and, and get to the line and get set. There's a um, you know there's a, a rigidity so to speak, right? There's you have to be regimented. You know you have to be able to get there and do it consistently. And I think that. Uh, when you're talking about young linemen and maybe some some newer pieces uh, around, you know, where you know the running backs other than Alice are pretty much all young. You know, you're talking about still Perkins, even though he's a guy who has experience in college programs. He's not a quarterback who um, who has played in a, in games. You know, like he's still he's played at junior college, but that's not college. So I just think that tempo is is a is a is a real positive. But the question is going to be whether or not it's something that they uh, can rely on consistently. Or not, or whether it's a sp- whether it's something they go to in specific spots based on what they see. Yeah, and I think it kind of comes down to execution. I mean, I know that's kind of an obvious, an obvious answer, but I think because if you think back to that first year when they were going no huddle and they were running the tempo and they'd be three and out, and an offensive possession would be less than a minute off the clock, and that just puts so much pressure de- on the defense. And when you're talking about a defense that maybe lacks depth. In some spots. And maybe like you said, maybe it's something that they sprinkle in here and there where it's kind of like the best example, the best analogy off the top of my head is to use a basketball one when Syracuse was here and Jim Beheim was talking about running the press against UVA. And he said, if we did it for the whole game, we'd get beaten by 30. But when you pick your spots with it, it can be effective. And maybe that's how UVA kind of approaches using the tempo offense is if you pick your spots with it and it's effective you pick, you just try to pick those right spots and who knows, maybe you find that it's effective enough that you can go to it more often. But I know it's a simple answer, but I think it boils down to execution. And if it it didn't work two years ago when they tried it and now with the different offenses, the different offense and the different personnel, I think it's something that I'm sure, like I said before, that they'd want to at least try. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also too, like if you're, if you're primarily running the ball, I think it's easier to yeah. if you want to go tempo when you want to if you want to run because passing you got to get you you know you got to get a receiver you know you got to make sure where you're lined up if you're keeping the same personnel group and you're in a pistol formation and and you got a guy who's just going to come re, you know come across in some sort of um, some sort of uh, you know jet sweep action that you know you can you can just have him stay where he is and run a route I mean like there's there's a lot that you can do in and I, I think for Virginia fans. What you're going to see primarily from this offense, the formation itself will look the same, but what happens out of it will look, just look dramatically different. Um, the guys will be standing roughly in the same spots, um, but they'll just run different plays. And I, and I got to be honest, I kind of feel like you're going to see a lot of similar formations um, you know, with, with different play calls out of them. I think maybe it's in hindsight um, – Folks who who are so down on an eye will will think, okay, maybe one of the reasons why it it looked as bad as it did at times is because um, it wasn't really what what the fully the full featured sort of um, sort of thing. So like read a read option with Kurt was never going to be an actual option. It was just a handoff um, that looked a little different, you know. Uh, now you have a true read option, and there's a lot that you can do off of that. And, and I think that that is natural to think that a guy like Bryce Perkins can can do more because he just brings a lot of versatility to the table. Yeah, I just think I just think there are more round pegs to go through those round holes now as opposed to some of the square pegs that they inherited from the previous coaching staff's roster. Uh, and I, I would agree with that. I think 
I think now to go back to a point that I've made before, they're just they're recruiting and they're developing guys who they see as fits in these specific spots. And so, yeah, I think to me, and this is this may be a bigger picture kind of kind of kind of uh, kind of point to make, but I just I feel like this is where we'll start to get as we go into year three our true our true feel for are they recruiting the right guys? Is this the offense is this going to work basically at the end of the day to simplify it is this going to work now that we get into year three and they're getting more guys that fit into what they want to do i think we're going to get a better idea long term if this is going to work all right damien last last question um for you i i want to know now that you've seen we saw three practices we we know things that have come out of the spring so we know where they are well we think we think we know they where they are in terms of injuries and that kind of thing um, we know the grad transfers that they've announced. We don't know if there will be any additionals or if any other guys will um, will be uh, if there will be any other attrition um, on the roster at various spots. But given all, if all things are being equal, right? I, you know, everything is consistent from this point forward. What you saw this spring, how does it impact what you expect this fall, and what do you expect this fall? Gosh, that's huh. That's a tough one. Ah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've really formed any expectations. Not to take a cop out, but I don't know if I've really formed any expectations yet because there are so many variables that have changed. I do think I do think Bryce Perkins based on what we've seen in those two practices and then on Saturday, there are plenty of reasons there for optimism with an, with him running the offense at quarterback. I think he you mentioned earlier he doesn't have a lot of game experience, but there sure looks like there's a lot of potential there as a guy who can make some plays. Now, I will throw out this caveat. Doug Dowdy made the joke with Bronco on Saturday about it, but Bronco said that he does he doesn't know in the open field if there's anybody on the UVA roster who can catch Bryce Perkins when he gets moving. Now, Doug followed that up with what about on other teams? And that to me, that's the big question with this team is is that a reflection of the guys who are around on the rest of the roster at UVA or is Bryce Perkins just that good? And I don't think we'll have an answer for the, to that until we get into, until we get into the fall and the season and start playing other teams and start playing actual football. Now the one, I know we've touched a lot on this, but to bring it full circle, kind of, you always hear the cliche that championships and games are one up front. And I think maybe it's, the two biggest question marks I think we'd agree right now with this team coming out of the spring are the offensive line and the defensive line. So when you mix and match those two things, that cliche and those question marks, that's that could be an issue moving forward too. But I do think I do think Bryce Perkins is a big reason for optimism. I do think, like we talked about, the linebacker depth, the defensive back depth, defensively, there look like there looks like there are guys all over this roster who could potentially make some plays and have an impact. This fall, guys who we have seen before getting into bigger roles, or guys who we have just kind of seen in these spring practices and situations like that. But I do think, I do think, offensively, obviously, offensively, we haven't mentioned Alameda at all. We haven't mentioned Joe, mentioned Joe Reed at all. And listening to Robert and I, and listening to Bronco, those are the two guys who I think, beyond Bryce Perkins, they're kind of counting on to make plays. And we've seen that from those guys in flashes. And even Alamade talked about that on Saturday after the practice. But it's just a matter of both of those guys taking that next step and becoming more consistent. Saturday in and Saturday out, 
being reliable to make those plays on a consistent basis because that's what this team offensively beyond Bryce Perkins is going to need. And then that would open things up for the running game. That would open things up for Jordan Ellis. That would open things up for for those younger running backs who we kind of talked about at the top of the show, like getting those getting those guys more opportunities and maybe more opening things up a little bit for them to make plays. So I think there's there's cause for optimism across the board. But there's also some question marks that we've talked about, especially on those two line spots on both sides of the football. So it's really until they start playing other teams, it's really difficult for me to say to say what my expectations are. I think that'll be my expectations will be wide open until we get a a few games into the season and we have a better idea of what this looks like. Yeah, I will say this. I, I think that when I saw Perkins and as I've as I watched him more. His addition and what he means skill set wise to me tell, says UVA should get back to a bowl. My question is going to be the other the other question marks that abound. That's going to be the difference between um, making some some hay in the in the coastal and just making it back to the postseason, right? Like um, Perkins to me is good enough that with the schedule that they have, that they should absolutely get back to a bowl game. And anything less to me is a disaster. And I know that they lost Quinn Blanding and Micah Kaiser and Andrew Brown and, and they're replacing Kurt Bennett. I get that. But I'm saying this kid is good enough. Now, if he, you know, goes out, you know, tomorrow and springs a giblet, um, you know, all, all bets are off. But I'm just saying, with that kid at quarterback, this team should this team as currently constructed should go to a bowl game. My question will be everything else around them. That's the the T B D for me is um, how do the lines mature? What uh, what kind of impact does this um, can this offense really consistently put up? Uh, what can the defense do? I think that all you you, you figure that part out. Uh, that's the part that kind of fills in the detail. But otherwise, uh, th- as I look at this team right now, they should be back in the postseason to me. Yeah, and and then to go back to a point I kind of touched on earlier, this to me now as we go into year three is where. I've given people ask me about Bronco and the coaching staff and how they've recruited and and the first two seasons. And my answer is typically I've given them the benefit of the doubt these first two seasons just because they've been doing it by and large with guys they inherited. And now as we get into year three and as the roster turns over and veteran guys start to graduate and move on and the roster becomes more and more guys that Bronco and his staff have targeted and recruited and brought in here. This to me now is where going into year three and then, and then into year four as well, this is where it becomes time to really start evaluating this staff and whether it's going to work, whether the guys they targeted and they recruited for specific spots and specific roles fit and can do it at an ACC level and can do it at at competing for a Coastal Division title level, competing for bowl games level. And I think this is where that'll all start to kind of take shape this fall. And that to me, that's what I'm most looking forward to, I think, seeing is how this is taking shape in year three as we get into the fall and we see what it looks like against other teams. Because like I said at the beginning, it's really tough to gauge where things are based on what we saw on Saturday because they obviously weren't showing a whole lot on Saturday that they cared about other people seeing, which indicates to me that they're sitting on a lot of things that are a lot different from what they showed on Saturday. And it could be it could be really interesting, especially offensively, what they have what they have up their sleeve, so to speak, 
what Anai's cooking. Because again, I've always said that I never got the sense that Anai was completely comfortable with the pieces he had offensively. And now you get the sense that he's more engaged and more excited about the pieces they have offensively. So I'm really curious to see what this is going to look like come the fall. I think that's a very good place to put a pin in it, uh, Damon. I appreciate your time. As always, you have f- become uh, rapidly my my go-to uh, friend of the program uh, lately. So I appreciate you uh, taking some time out of your days to, 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 to come on the show. I appreciate everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I, I know that... Um, I know that uh, the podcast is, you know, it's half hour, 45 minutes or whatever. So it, it can take a while to get through. And uh, Lord knows why anybody wants to listen to me drone on. But I appreciate that folks do listen. Uh, if you're somebody who found the podcast um, but have not subscribed to Cavs Corner, give us a look. Uh, obviously a, a good time to, to do that. And if you're somebody who uh, is a subscriber, please uh, give us a, a rating on iTunes. Definitely helps out the show and helps out the site as well. So for Damon Delman from CBS 19 Sports and, and Charles Von Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.